You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. I'm joined by my co-host, John McEwen, and it's the 19th of September, 2023. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing Red Row, Fever Tree, Barrett Developments, Capital Limited, DS Smith, and our US company of the week is Upwork. John, do you want to start us off with the first house builder of the week? Yes. So it's Red Row, which is one that I actually own. They had their full year results out for the 52 weeks to the 2nd of July, with revenue in line with the prior year at £2.13 billion, compared with £2.14 billion last year, and underlying profit before tax falling 4% to £395 million from £410 million. They had strong operating cash generation with year-end net cash of £235 million compared with £288 last year after dividend and £100 million share buyback. Completions did fall by 5% from 5,715 homes in the prior year to 5,436 as the interest rates rose and mortgage affordability fell. Meanwhile, the total order book now stands at around 850 million, compared with 1.44 billion, representing a 41% fall on last year. And over the past 10 weeks, the group has been selling a weekly average of 0.34 homes at each of the 115 developments, which is half of what they were doing last year. Underlying return on capital employed also fell to 23.1% from 24.5%. They did maintain their five-star builder status and an excellent rating on Trustpilot. An air source heat pumps and ground floor underfloor heating is standard in the detached homes on their new developments. The outlook is more bleak with profits expected to half over the coming year and the group are expecting sales of between £1.65 and £1.7 billion and pre-tax profit of between £180 and £200 million. In terms of valuation, Redrow has a market cap of £1.6 billion and trades at around nine times the forward earnings, around four times the current earnings, with a prospective dividend of around, well, just under 3%. I thought these results were pretty good, and I think the forecast is largely baked in. The market did respond fairly well, and the shares are up about 5%. As we know, and as we've covered well, a lot on the show, it is really difficult where we are in the cycle, but I think Red Row is in a healthy state. It does have a decent amount of cash. And given the, the, structure, well, the structural imbalance of home ownership and the demand for houses in the UK, and with both major political parties seeing the big house builders, including Red Row, as part of the solution, I think there are strong fundamentals there, although it's going to be a tricky few years. And I don't think anybody's expecting interest rates to go back to the ultra low levels that we saw for the last 15 years, or potentially some of those house buying schemes, which did boost the profits of companies like Redro. Overall, I'm happy to hold it. It's a long, it's a company that I've with the intention, as with 
most of the companies I buy off holding for the very long term. And I don't have any major concerns o- over the next five or 10 years. But like I say, I think it's going to be you know tricky in the next year or two. Sam, what are your thoughts on the first of our house builders and these results? I thought the results were pretty decent. The actual results for 2023 are pretty good. I think really where you see the impact of the increase in interest rates, it's in the order book, which is why next year's results are just not looking as good. Mm. I don't know how long that will last for. When interest rates start coming back down again, I think you'll have a lag anywhere where the order book stays quite low for another 12 or 18 months because that seems to have been what we've seen with the interest rates going up. But yeah, I think in the short to medium term, it's probably not fantastic just because I I still think, although the interest rates are fairly high, I don't feel like the affordability has really changed that much. The houses, if anything, they're less affordable because they're still very high, the prices, but now the interest rates are even higher as well. So it will be interesting to see what happens. However, in the long term, as we talk about a lot, there is an undersupply of housing and it it is going to be companies like Redro that help solve that problem. So yeah, in, in the long term, I, I think you're getting it at a pretty reasonable price. It's got a good dividend. I know the dividend will fall with the profits, but you're getting it at a reasonable price. It is a cyclical. So if you buy it knowing that it's probably at the top of the cycle, then I just think, well, fair enough. But in fact, let's see how the share price has done over the last five years. Because in the last year, it's not really budged a load. It's down 2.3% over the last year. Yeah, even over the last last two years, it's down 31%. Last five years, it's down 16%. But I just think it's a cyclical business. You know that when times are good, you're going to be getting a cracking dividend. It's going to be a very cheap PE. If you buy it now, you have to ride out a couple of bad years. If you're in it for the long term, I don't think that particularly matters. But yeah, it's interesting to see the interest rates now feeding through into the order book. Would agree with you there. Okay, on to, well, a much more expensive company, Fevertree. Yes, so I'd probably describe it as a favourite of the show, although not necessarily (laughs) the share price, but the stock itself. But Fevertree, who are best known for their tonics, have come out with half-year results, and half-year revenue grew by 6% to $175.6 ignoring the impact of exchange rates. This was largely driven by 32% growth in the US, which has now overtaken the UK as the biggest contributor to revenue. Underlying cash profit fell from 22 million to 10 million as margins were squeezed by higher costs, most notably for glass, which were not fully offset by price hikes. 80% of the sales are bottled in glass, so any impact on energy prices that then has a knock-on impact on the cost of glass bottles, it does hit them hard at the minute. Net cash fell from 99.9 million to 75.8 million as the group increased inventory levels to help mitigate the impact of any potential future supply chain disruptions. Free cash flow worsened from an outflow of 5.1 million to an outflow of 7.3 million. Due to unseasonably poor weather in the UK impacting the key summer trading period, full year guidance has been lowered. Revenue is now expected to be between 380 and 390 million down from 390 to 405 million. Cash profit guidance has been lowered to 30 to 36 million, down from 36 to 42 million. The dividend's up 2% and the shares fell 3.4% following the announcement. 
In terms of the valuation, the business trades at a forward PE of 48.5. And that compares to an average forward PE since listing of 46.9. And the prospective yield over the next 12 months is 1.3. And that compares to an average since listing of 0.8. Now, if you look at the share price for Fever Tree, it has actually taken a hammering. So given how high the PE is, that did make me think, well, maybe it's on reduced earnings. So maybe if you were to take what you consider to be normalized earnings it's actually quite a reasonable price now because the share price has taken quite a hammering so over the past five years the shares are actually down two-thirds and they're down 50 percent in the last three years 46 percent in the last two years although they're up 34 percent in the last year but yeah if you were to take the 2018 earnings which i think is being generous i've basically taken the highest earnings of the past five years and if you assume they are the normal earnings which I'd suggest they're probably not if they've been achieved achieved once in five years. But if you do say yeah. that, you get a value uh, average price earnings of twenty three. I think it's quite pricey, given how much growth has dropped off for the business. But now that America is bigger than the UK and still growing at thirty percent a year, I think you could make an argument if you think that will continue. And given that the American market is likely going to take be much larger when it hits saturation than the UK's that it possibly is quite cheap however this is a business I do really like it's definitely a watch list it's a business that is on my watch list I probably need to see it at a bit more of a discount to pull the trigger I think for the amount of risk that is included in the business I would want it at more than 23 times the best earnings it's ever had basically john what are your thoughts i mean similarly i think it's a really good company and it's so encouraging to see the numbers that it's producing in the states and so far from saturation so there's a lot of potential ahead of it it's so pricey and i know the company can't help that but as an investor it makes it very tricky as you say to actually start a position and pull the trigger on it when it's 46 times earnings will it ever be cheaper though i guess that that is the difficulty and if you do want to own a piece of it people are banking on that growth in the states would be risky i think if you were to buy at this price and certainly if there are more bumps in the road and the numbers are they don't quite meet the expectations it's got a long way to fall so it, yeah, it's it's a tricky one, but as a business, it seems to overall be going in the right direction. I would say. I would agree. Should we move back to the house builders? Yes. Um, so more more fun, uh, <laughs> and we will move on to Barrett, which is one of the bigger house builders. They had their full year results out with full year revenue rising one percent to five point three billion pounds as high average selling prices helped to offset the slowdown in reservations in the second half. Underlying operating profit fell 18.2% to £862.9 million, and this reflected several factors, including high build cost inflation, lower completion volumes, and a relatively higher contribution from the London completions, where margins were lower. Total home completions declined by 3.9% to 17206 and the net cash position remained broadly flat at £1.1 billion. The reduction in land spend helped to offset the completion of the £200 million share buyback programme. 
free cash flow rose from 388.7 million pounds to 442.5 million pounds. And Barrett expects total completions to reduce this year to a range of between 13,250 homes and 14,250 homes, as the outlook with the UK house building market is very much uncertain, as we've seen and highlighted with Redrow. Final dividend of 22.5 pence per share was announced, which takes the full year payment to 33.7 pence, which is down from 36.9 pence. And the shares were down slightly following the results. In terms of market cap, it is significantly bigger than Redro with market cap of £4.3 billion. And from a valuation point of view, it's trading at a forward price to book of 0.79 compared with a 10-year average of forward price to book of 1.2. It has a prospective dividend yield of 4.4%. Again, I think the results were better than we might have expected with all of the bad news and the hike in the interest rates. But I think it's it's going forward. That's really baked into the valuation and the shares are very cheap. Looking at the house builders, it's always difficult because I think when we look at them at different points and the valuations, some of them are in healthier state. I think Red Row is probably right up there as one of the best if not the biggest barrett does have some more exposure to the south of england and i know persimmon is largely outside london so they've all got different things taylor wimpy um they had had a bit more leverage in the past and certainly during covid had been quite aggressive in the land acquisitions when prices were lower it, it, it's difficult i don't think any of them now would be necessarily be a, a bad buy in the sense that the, the unhealthy position that they were in prior to 2008. But I probably, you know, balancing it out, I do have a slightly more in-depth uh, look at them from time to time. But I'm, I'm personally quite happy with Redro. I think Barrett's reasonable though. Sam, what are your thoughts on these results from Barrett? Pretty similar to Red Row. Might just cut and paste what I said there, because you probably can't. Pretty similar. The re revenue they've managed to hold on to, but you, you see it flowing through into the order book. That's where you, you're getting the uncertainty flowing into it. I did think it was interesting as well that the margins have gone down. So although the revenue's up slightly, obviously all the build cost inflation, they've just had to take the hit on that in the current environment because... They can't really be pushing up the prices when they've already got the order book dropping off a cliff. So I, I do think that's quite interesting as well. But yeah, not not really much more to add. I, I agree that in terms of choosing between a house builder, I guess they are pretty similar a lot of the time. I don't know if there's probably some merits just taking a basket approach if you really weren't sure and just wanted exposure to the industry because we you know we cover quite a few on the show and there are some very good house builders available so you could pick two or three so I don't I don't think you need to have a favorite house builder no no fair enough do you have a particular pick at the moment I'd probably was it Taylor Wimpy that bought the low it was yeah I'd probably go with that because I was very critical of it at the time. And in hindsight, they <laughs> obviously knew a lot more than me. And it was a bit of a, it, the prices did snap back as well. So they saw the yeah. chance and they took it. So you, you can't really knock management. I think in terms of the management, probably the best 
Yeah, the they did. Di- they did differentiate. They did dilute shareholders a little bit when they did that, but, but they took advantage of the low prices. It, so it's right. They, 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 they carried on dropping. I'd have thrown them under yeah. the bus and said how terrible they yeah. were, but they, they took a chance and it has worked. So yeah, yeah. Prob- that's the only thing they've done to differentiate themselves from the other house builders. So I would probably yeah. just do it based on that. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Right. Okay then. To Capital Limited. So this is a debut on the show. So for anyone who listened to part two of my interview with Flying Finance, which was published as our the episode before this one, it is basically a, a stock list in his portfolio. He explained briefly what it does and why he likes it. I will cover that somewhat here, given that it is a debut. So Capital Limited, this is per their investor relations page of their website, We provide full-service mining, drilling, maintenance, and geochemical analysis solutions to customers within the minerals industry. Our services extend across the mining value chain from initial exploration, drilling, to load and haul, providing our customers with a fully integrated mining services solution. Our company operates one of the youngest rig fleets in the industry, while our heavy mining equipment fleet is rapidly growing and now includes 834 D9 D10 bulldozers, 785 787 dump trucks and 330, 340, 390, 395. Oh, these must be models rather than numbers. 6,020 and 6,040 excavators. Our fleet has a reputation for its quality and reliability as a result of regular maintenance and upgrades. Our equipment is also fitted with the latest technologies for enhanced efficiency, safety and data collection. As well as our established rig fleet of 129 rigs as of Jan 23, these rigs include 31 diamond core rigs, 4 air core rigs, four, 2 wheat pole rigs, 14 multi-purpose rigs, 12 grade control rigs, 13 reverse circulation, 34 blast hole rigs, 19 underground rigs. And they say, a reliable and available fleet is essential to keeping exploration and mining operations running to schedule. Our maintenance teams provide a fleet you can rely on by focusing on preventative maintenance and optimizing the asset's performance. We provide our clients with consistently high availability, averaging 85% or more. Our company focuses on the African markets, where we've been operating since 2005. We have well-established operations across East, North and West Africa, including the Ivory Coast, Democratic Republic of Congo, Egypt, Guinea, Kenya, Mali, Mauritania, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, Sudan and Tanzania. We take the time to understand local requirements and customs in all countries we operate in. We have a few different segments of the business, but one that is of interest and was talked about in the interview is the MSA Labs. And they say, at MSA Labs, we understand that mining and exploration are dynamic and the pace and performance of these projects can be heavily reliant on assay results to guide management decisions of the next phase of work, in turn enabled by timely accurate data. We focus on delivering the fastest turnaround times in the industry. We have a rapidly growing global network of laboratories in key mining regions around the world to limit lead times and transit costs. And we employ the latest high-tech analysis equipment. So I think the way Flying Finance explained it, and my understanding was that this MSA labs part part of the business, basically you can analyze part of the ground or whatever, and it will basically run it through the computers and it will tell you if there's it's more likely that there's something there or not before you actually have to start drilling and stuff so you will find out without having to make such a huge capital investment whether or not something's actually viable or you get a better indication of it 
So they have come out with their half year results. The revenue has grown 11.7% to 154.3 million, and all these figures are in dollars. Operating profit is up 1.4% to 28.4 million. Basic earnings per share is down 16.2% to 8.8 cents. Net debt is up 82.7% to 66.5 million. And the operating profit margin has decreased from 20.3 to 18.4%. It said the net debt of 66.5 million increased 82.7%, predominantly in order to fund our second material mining services contract with Evindo Iron SA without returning to equity markets for funding. Investments remain significant at 42.1 million. Capital drilling, they said, in the first half, the average rig utilisation was 75%, a decrease of 9.6% from last year. The decrease, in part, is driven by the temporary shutdown of rigs at Perseus Mayer's gold project in Sudan following the escalation of conflict in the country. In the MSA labs, they've said the growth outlook remains strong with the expanded relationship with Chrysos. Through the successful rollout of Chrysos photon assay units, MSA Labs now has the largest international network of Chrysos photon assay technology. MSA Labs now has the Chrysos units deployed or under construction across Africa and Canada. The expanded relationship with Chrysos will see MSA Labs deploy 21 units by 2025, while the rollout of Chrysos photon assay technology will account for the majority of the growth in revenues. We continue to expand our traditional geochemical business in tandem. This year, MSA Labs has commissioned a mine site laboratory in Shantagold's Singida Mine, Tanzania, a laboratory in Mali, and currently has a laboratory in Egypt under construction. MSA Labs has completed a $10 million equity raise to fund the expansion of the business. Following this capital, shareholding in MSA Labs has increased from 77.8% to 81.8%. MSA Labs will continue its multi-year laboratory rollout, particularly focused on Chrysos photon assay units, with revenue guidance for MSA Labs remaining at 40 to 50 million for 2023, another significant year-over-year increase. It was 27.3 million last year. And in the slides, the return on capital employed is 23%. They've highlighted that the macro environment is supportive of increased exploration activity. So they've said that exploration is 37% below the previous cycle's peak. Top miners' capex spend is down over 50% inflation adjusted from previous cycle peak levels, and up to $4 trillion of fresh mining investment is needed by the end of the decade due to the energy transitions. They also have another part of the business, which I've not really touched on, but they've said proactive. They've got capital investments, which is proactive investments in African exploration and mining companies. And for the MSA Labs, they're actually guiding for 2025 revenue of $80 million plus. Now, I couldn't find anything that split out the margins on MSA Labs, so I'm not sure how much that will feed through into profit. I imagine it's more profitable than the capital-intensive mining equipment and other stuff that they do. But as to how profitable it is, I don't actually know. And that's $80 million on total revenue, well, total revenue currently for the half is 154 million. So last year for the 2022 calendar year, it was 290 million. So it would be about a third of revenue or just under a third of revenue. And if it's very highly profitable, it could make a difference. In terms of the valuation, the earnings do fluctuate 
fairly significantly. So that's to be expected because it is in a cyclical industry. So what I've done is I've taken the average PE for the last, the average earnings for the last five years. If you do that, you get a five-year average PE based on the current price of eight. The market cap is 155 million and it is listed on the FTSE All Share. And the current dividend yield is 4%. My view was I thought this was an interesting business. I wouldn't put it in the same bracket as Airtel Africa, though. I don't. I think this is interesting. I think the MSA Labs could be quite interesting. But when you look at the earnings and you look at the revenue and where they're thinking it can get to by 2025, now, obviously, that's only a year and a half away. If you go beyond that, it could maybe get even higher. But based on the numbers they're throwing out, it's not like I'm not looking at this and thinking, well, what's wrong with it? I kind of understand why it is so cheap because it's such a cyclical business in such a risky part of the world. I think with Airtel Africa, I did get that feeling first time I looked at it it was one of them businesses where it was like well what's actually wrong with it why is it so cheap I feel like I must be missing something whereas although this is a cheap business I do kind of feel like I I understand the reasons why my other concern with this is that what it's doing is very complicated I know the mining equipment is a bit more simple but it's very capital intensive which I don't like and then you've got this MSA labs and I just feel like it's very, very difficult to understand. And if I'm being completely honest with myself, it should probably be in the too hard pile. If you understand it, that doesn't mean you can't do very well off it and it might be completely undervalued. But when they're talking about those 2025 figures, I do not know anything about the size of the industry. I do not know how big it could potentially get. Whereas if you compare that to Airtel Money, if we're doing the Airtel Africa comparison with Airtel Money, I just feel like Yes, maybe I don't know how big the market could be in Africa for online transactions, but I know it's going to be a lot, lot bigger than it is now. And with the numbers that Airtel Africa are putting up in respect to it, I I think they could carry on putting up those kind of numbers for five or 10 years. I do not know enough about this market. You know, with a capital limited MSA Labs could be putting up the 30, 40% a year growth for the next five or 10 years. I've just no idea at what point that market hits saturation. So for me... I think it is an interesting business. I think for someone who understands it, there might be something there, but it is probably in my best interest that I just accept that <laughs> it's not for me. John, what are your thoughts on the business and the valuation? I would agree with you that it's certainly very interesting. Some things that I would would put me off a little bit would be, yeah, like you say, how capital intensive it is. That it, it is very cyclical. That in itself wouldn't put me off, but... I would wonder about whether I would just want a miner compared with capital. I think the thing that would differentiate them in the biggest way, because I think if you were just looking at the drilling business and you were just looking at a pure play miner like BHP, I probably would go for BHP, but it would be those labs. And I think that being so difficult to understand does make it, very speculative for someone or like us to make a call on that and I think we'd you'd have to accept if you were to make that call and you were like us without that um, industry knowledge it would be quite a punt really so for me and my level of understanding I'd probably stick with a minor I don't have a minor I just got commodities exposure I think that's where it would sit I think if you could get to the bottom of the lab side of things really get your head around it and if you did see the value there i mean it could be a fantastic investment could be 
But if you can't get your head around that, it's, yeah, highly, highly speculative. So I would probably leave it there. But I think having it on the show and probably following it up will be really curious to see how it does and whether that all, all does play out. But probably not not one for me with my own money. I agree. I think it is an interesting business. So I have put it on my watch list. So we probably will cover it again. Maybe if we cover it a couple of times, we might be sat here in a year and feel differently about it. Equally, if yeah. there's anyone that listens to the show that does actually understand MSA Labs and what differentiates it and how big they think it can be, if you would like to come on for an interview, please do just get in touch. Because oh yeah, I do not love to, love to hear that. It's a bit bit of a long shot, yeah. <laughs> given exactly. how niche this company is, <laughs> but you never um, know. We might get someone. Should we move on to a business that is much easier to oh, understand? Yeah, um, in the cardboard industry, making boxes favorite box maker of the show maybe ds smith so they had their full year results out the 22nd of june they reported full year revenue of 8.2 billion pounds which was up 11 percent when ignoring the effects of exchange rates and higher prices were the key driver of growth partially offset by a 5.8 percent decline in volumes as market demand was tempered Underlying operating profit rose 35% to £861 million, driven by the benefit of higher prices, slightly offset by the higher costs and lower volumes. Free cash flow fell 32% to £354 million, impacted by higher capital expenditure, and net debt rose from £1.5 million to £1.6 billion on higher capex. But higher cash profits meant that the ratio of net debt to EBITDA improved from 1.6 to 1.3 times. Trading in the new year is in line with management's expectations, despite box volumes remaining lower than normal. And the board proposed a final dividend of 12 pence, taking the total for the year to 18 pence, which represents a 20% increase. And the chief executive, Miles Roberts, said that the new financial year had started well, but acknowledged the economic environment remains challenging. From a valuation perspective, the group has a market cap of £4 billion and trades at a forward PE of 9, compared with a 10-year average of around 12. And it has a prospective dividend yield for the next year of 5.8%, which is higher than its 10-year average of 4%. Again, I thought these results were pretty good. It's a cheap company. It's a high-quality company. I think in the long term, it's on the back of a growth trend with e-commerce. But where we are in the cycle, again, you'd expect probably expect the volumes to be dropping off a bit it is difficult and we've talked about how much paper they make in-house and how much they outsource and depending on again energy prices it can be good or bad for the company and they have been stepping back from that themselves so they're i guess less cyclical but no overall i don't think there's a huge amount to say other than that they're pretty good numbers obviously not like to see the volumes drop but i think to be expected and sort of fair enough operating profit rising by decent amount all all very positive so yeah it's a company that i still like and it's been sitting on my watch list for a while possibly one that i would pull the trigger on at some point this year but um i think there are quite a lot of other good companies which aren't particularly expensive as well and it's sometimes difficult to choose between those Sam, I know you've been positive in DS Smith in the past. 
What do you think of these results? I like it. I think these are a good set of results. I just think with it being so cheap and the results being what I would consider so good, it probably is, well, it is a very cyclical business. Uh, I just think that really that, that cheap valuation probably tells you just where the market thinks it is in the cycle but very good business i think i think these are a good set of results i think it's had a good year i think if you're buying it with a long-term view when you look at historically how the shares have done over the last five years i think you are getting it at a pretty reasonable price i think for me it would just be opportunity costs as other businesses i'd rather own before ds smith but i think it's a very very good business and i do like it okay very good so on onto a company that you do own, yes. Upwork. I don't know how I feel about Upwork. So I've, I've been toying with the idea. I, I don't spoiler alert, but I, I kind of feel like after this, I, after looking at this, I probably won't. But I was thinking before these results because I hadn't had a proper look at them yet. I was thinking I might sell at some point. Ooh. The main reason is just I've got you know quite a few US listed companies and there's others I would rather have more of and Upwork it's not the biggest position for me anymore it's now only like a few percent so my Upwork shares I think I'm up like 10 percent on them but that doesn't include there was a chunk that I sold I think when the shares were about three times what they are now back in the COVID bubble so overall I've done very well on the stock but the shares I own presently are up about 10 percent so Upwork have come out with the Q2 results. And for anyone who doesn't know, Upwork is an outsourcing app. So you go on and if you need someone to do, say, transcribing this podcast would be an example, or you need to hire someone in India that's going to do like jobs for you and stuff remotely. Those kind of jobs, uh, Upwork's where you go and it, it connects you with these contractors and equally it connects the contractors with employers. It is a website I used as a teenager and probably like five years ago now I used, I used to write articles on it I get a decent rate actually I remember I used I used to write articles about Bitcoin I could get like $50 an hour or something like that it was it was pretty decent actually <laughs> Upwork have come out with their Q2 results and in the shareholder letter they've said we achieved better than expected results across our financial goals while making significant strides in generative AI and growth across our business this resulted in second quarter revenue of 168.6 million, up 7% from a year ago, and gross service volume that again exceeded 1 billion for the quarter. We recorded a gap net loss of 4 million and adjusted EBITDA of 14.4 million, compared to a gap net loss of 23.8 million and adjusted EBITDA loss of 1.9 million last year. These strong results are largely the outcome of the cost savings actions we took earlier in the second quarter along with additional cost-saving measures taken throughout the quarter, which we expect to yield incremental benefits over the remainder of 2023. With the momentum that we have built, we are raising our adjusted EBITDA guidance for 2023 from 50 to 55 million. So gross service volume increased 3% quarter over quarter and was down by approximately 1% year over year. They've said this decline was primarily driven by the lapping of strong growth in previous two years, as well as client marketplace pricing changes implemented in April 2022. Active clients increased 2% year over year as of June 30, 2023 to approximately, approximately 822,000. Gross service volume per active client increased 2% year over year to 4,987 as of June 30th, 2023. Total take rate in the second quarter of 2023 was 16.3%, up from 16% in the previous quarter and 15% in the previous year. 
Marketplace take rate for the second quarter was 15.3%, up from 14.9% in the previous quarter and 14 in the previous year. The increase was largely due to the simplification of our freelancer pricing structures implemented in May 23, as well as other Connect monetization strategies implemented in the marketplace. Revenue grew 7% year-over-year to $168.6 million in the second quarter of 2023. Marketplace revenue for the second quarter was 156.6, reflecting a year-over-year increase of 9%. Total revenue growth was primarily driven by client fee changes related to the shift to our client marketplace offering in April 2022, as well as other monetization efforts implemented on our platform. Gap gross profit was $127.7 million for the quarter, or 76% of revenue compared with 74% in the prior year. Gap operating expenses for the second quarter were $133.8 million, representing 79% of revenue, compared to 89% in the prior year, with R&D expense increasing 21% year-over-year, while sales and marketing and provision for transaction losses rolled down significantly year-over-year. Cash cash equivalents and marketable securities were approximately $516.7 million at the end of the quarter, and that's on a market cap of $1.69 billion. In terms of revenue per share, since list, when they listed in 2016, that was $1.71 per share. Since then, it's grown to 2.11, 4.84, 2.74, 3.15, 3.95, and in the last full year, it was $4.74 per share. Price to sales is currently 2.64. Doesn't really tell you a huge amount, but the price to gross profit is 3.69. I actually think this is pretty cheap, so it's not currently making a profit, or not a net profit anyway, but I think it's a business with the potential to have very high margins in the future. If you take the view at some point they're going to stop investing as much in R&D and as much as, as much in sales and marketing and stuff, when it does switch on that profitability, if it had a high margin, say it had like a 30%, it's pretty cheap given how low the price to sales and the price to gross profit already is. If you were to take the 50 million that they're, Giving for adjusted EBITDA now, and I know that's not quite a net profit. It's more, it's probably going to be more like an operating profit. If you take the lower range of the adjusted EBITDA, that would give a profit uh, price earnings of thirty three. But that's based on the current earnings, which are only just starting to feed through. So I, I actually think it's pretty cheap. I think over the long term, I think even it's had a very good COVID, and then it's slowed down a bit, like we've seen with a few of these businesses. I would expect the growth to start speeding up again. But even still, it's growing sort of 8% a year, which is pretty decent for like for what is a poor year. So yeah, I actually think this is pretty cheap. So I was thinking of selling because I was just wondering if there was something else I maybe wanted to own more of rather than carry on owning Upwork. But I own Upwork. I also own Fiverr, which is a similar business. I quite like having the exposure to the industry because I think long-term it's an industry that do, will do very well. But yeah, I think just based on... These results are fine, but I just think it's an incredibly cheap business now. In terms of the share price, it originally went public at about $19 a share in 2018. It reached a high of about $58 a share in 2021, and it's now trading at 12 So it's actually below the IPO price. And I think it's pretty cheap. We're not seeing the profits yet, but I, th- I think when we do, I, th- I think given how low the market cap is, it will soon start to look like a very cheap business. John, what are your thoughts on these results and the valuation? I think the results were, were fair. It's, as you say, had some fantastic numbers during COVID um, with people working from home and Upwork and Fiverr benefiting from that. I would agree with you. It's It doesn't look expensive and in the sort of growth industry that it's in. I would be interested. I think 
along with five, it would kind of be that basket approach and, you know, play on a, a growth sector overall. There isn't much I don't like about about the sector. And I think, it, I mean, if it were just in the UK, you'd be worried about regulation. But the nature of it being online and being global is absolutely fantastic. And you think it's an industry that's only going to get bigger. So, yeah, I, I do like it a lot and I'm probably close to actually taking a position, but uh, upwork alongside Fiverr, so, so both of them. That's what I've done. I wouldn't want to um, try and pick a winner. Um, no, ex- exactly. And... Of course, they could both be winners. Um, which, they could. Uh, <laughs> and Upwork being not quite twice the size of five, but it's significantly bigger. Yeah, so yeah, so it's, like you say, not quite. Twice. So five of market caps just under a billion, whereas Upwork's 1.7 billion. So yeah, it's like 70% bigger. Yeah. I suppose you might have risks if bigger players, you know, Microsoft, LinkedIn, uh, entered the market and disrupted it further, but yeah, they're, they're not hugely expensive companies even at the moment. Yeah, and if they did, though, would they just buy one if they really wanted? Because yeah, they well, are that cheap. It's the sort of thing that Microsoft it. wouldn't even have to think about it. About, no, no, you're right. You're right. Of the companies this week, which would be your favourite and which would you like least? It's quite tough, actually. I think there are some decent businesses. I'll exclude Upwork on the basis I own it. I am sort of leaning a bit towards Fever Tree, but I think I would probably just play it safe and go with DS Smith if I had to buy one. <laughs> but Fever Tree is just not quite where I want it price wise. In terms of my least favorite, I'd probably actually say Capital Limited, but that's just because it goes in the too hard pile. I I don't think there's any bad businesses that we've covered this week. I mean, the house the house builders are all pretty similar, but they are good businesses. So it's, it would just be because I feel like I don't have enough of an understanding. So capital just gets it by default. It's not in any way that I think it is a bad business. And if anything, it looks like it could be quite a good business. What about you? Yeah, I think it's actually tough because I think they're all good businesses this week. I do own Red Row. I'm quite happy with that. If I were looking at them with my own money, it would probably be Red Row and DS Smith. I mean, oh well, I guess Barrett's up there in that in the mix there. So Barrett, uh, Red Row, DS Smith. If I were being more speculative, ooh, if I were being very speculative, it'd be Fever Tree. Possibly Upwork, actually. Yeah, I think I think it might be Upwork. And least, oh, it's a bit boring, but it could be Capital by by default or Fever Tree just on the basis of the valuation. But I think overall, it's they're all companies that are pretty good actually this week. It's, it's not it's not a clear loser as far as I'm concerned. Very good. I think that's everything in that case. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.